is viewing porn immoral? You might think the answer is obvious, but there are some very prominent voices, including conservative voices, that would argue no. Today, my guest, Benji Nolot, who is the founder of Exodus Cry, an international anti-trafficking organization and the author of Raised on Porn, uh, is going to give his take on that today and also talk about how pornography is specifically affecting children, their view of themselves, their view of sex, and the long-term consequences of how this is shaping their minds. This episode is part two of a two-part conversation. Part one was yesterday, so go check that out. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. I just want to read just because I think it's important to actually go to God's word, when we're looking at this, that the Bible makes very clear that it is a mutual submission when it comes to sex between man and woman, husband and wife, 1 Corinthians 7, 4 through uh, 5. And this would have been radical at the time that this was being written. I mean, in a highly kind of patriarchal society in which women were viewed at the time, and especially in secular culture, really, as just kind of objects of pleasure, children too. Um, this is what 1 Corinthians 7, 4 through 5 says, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. That sounds scandalous, but it also says, likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. That's because the two have become one. You have a, you have a stake in your, in your spouse's body. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so it's not... And it, a wife's exclusive responsibility to make sure that she is always sexually available to her husband. It is a mutual submission mm -hmm. that we are called to, and we also are called to self-control. Um, and so I think it's important to, yeah. despite any false teachings that may be out there in or outside of the church about sex, that the Bible is really clear on the role of the man and the woman when it comes to sex and sexuality. Okay, so look, can I just mention something about that passage you just sure. read? Okay, so um, so I I I love that perspective that that you're sharing, and um, here's where I think this some of this gets off is when one party or the other applies that in such a way to say you are required to be available to me because of this verse anytime I want. So I think it's okay for somebody to read that passage and, passage and to posture themselves in a way in their relationship, to be available to their partner, to their spouse, to say, um, I, you know, I want to, um, I want to have a, a, a connected, loving, um, sexual life with you. Um, but, when one party or the other uses it as a way to subjugate the other and impose an obligation on them is when it can become dangerous. Because at a very basic level, we just know that there are so many times and examples where that sex would be off the table for any number of reasons. Right. Um, 
I'll just use an obvious one. Let's say somebody just had a baby, right? Right. We know that their their body is not in a condition to engage in that. So if the partner is using a Bible verse to tell that person, you must now do this. And then for the for the woman in that situation to internalize the this passage as I'm obligated to now be sexually available, my body has gone through this traumatic event. I'm emotionally depleted. I haven't slept in however many days. And but now I'm I'm obligated. I mean, so this obligation based mentality around sexuality is probably the quickest thing to actually shut down sexual arousal doesn't create sexual arousal. And then again, now the woman is the sponge. She's the receptacle. So this isn't so when we so this all comes back to the point of consent. There's something that we should be talking about, which is much higher ethical standard to approach sexuality with than consent. And that is empathy and mutuality. So the idea that I am trying to understand what is going on in my partner's life, mentally, emotionally, physically, psychologically, I'm trying to be sensitive towards where they're at. And then the mutuality component is what do you like? What do you desire? What kind of things would enhance your experience of this sexual relationship? So I do believe that each person is responsible to steward their own needs and boundaries in terms of communicating those things. But then obviously empathy and mutuality are part of the communication process to get on the same page about what we can enjoy and experience together as a mutually enhancing experience. And, um, and so I think that when you look at sexuality through the lens of mutuality and empathy, you end up in a place that can truly be life-giving, that can truly be bonding, um, as opposed to something that is um, damaging or as opposed to something that is bringing pleasure to one person at the other person's expense. Hmm. And pornography certainly ruins that. It doesn't even offer that possibility. If you're masturbating to pornography, it can never be about mutuality. It can never be about empathy. It can never be about connection, right? Um, and so go ahead. Go ahead. You can respond. Well, I mean, just just real quickly, just to say it's whenever I hear somebody describe themselves as pro-porn or you know promote porn at all, you would think I'd be used to this by now, but I it always takes me aback a bit and I'm like, man, what kind of mental gymnastics have you been engaging in to get yourself and what kind of lies have you been believing to get yourself to the point of actually thinking of pornography as something positive and promoting it to others? So there's just so much to yeah. unpack and deconstruct there. And again, it's, it's one of the main things I've been thinking about for the past 16 years. So obviously I have a lot to say about it, but it's a lot to unpack and it's it just, on one hand, you know, of course, I want to be gracious in understanding uh, where people are, meeting where they're at. On another hand, it's just like, I just, yeah, yeah. It's I feel a lot of deep frustration, especially with my male brothers, um, yeah. when I hear things <laughs> along these lines, and it just depends how much work we have left to do as men. 
Okay, y'all, let me tell you again about one of my favorite sponsors, and that is Range Leather. Kyle and Bailey, who own Range Leather, are amazing people. They share the values that you and I do. They've been fans of Relatable for a long time, and a while ago, they told me about their company that they started from their kitchen table, this leather company, where they're making high-quality leather goods, something they're really good at, something they're really passionate about. Everything is made by them right there in Laramie, Wyoming. They make hats and belts and uh, earrings, amazing cute jewelry and purses, wallets. My husband loves their stuff. I love their stuff. They even make hats with leather emblems on it. Just incredible people, incredible products. And we really need to be supporting American companies, American products, as well as companies that align with our principles rather than always giving money away for products that don't last a long time, but also to companies that really hate us. So get your next gift from Range Leather. These make amazing and unique and long-lasting gifts for a family member or a friend or yourself. Rangeleather.com. Use code Allie for 15% off your first order. Rangeleather.com, code Allie. Rangeleather.com, code Allie. You know what? Someone with a whole lot of influence that I'm sure you and I both appreciate in a lot of ways. I really appreciate the work that Dennis Prager has done to help advance ideas that I think are good for the country when it comes to economics, even when it comes to social and cultural issues. I've worked with Prager Yo many times. And so I really appreciate so much that he has brought to the table over the years. Um, but he made a comment that I'm sure you saw recently, basically saying that porn isn't all that bad. So I'm going to play that clip and then I want to get your reaction to it. I'm not even giving a religious answer. I'm giving what I think is a moral and realistic answer. Men want variety. And uh, if adultery is a substitute for, if pornography is a substitute for one's wife, it's awful. If it's a substitute for adultery, it's not awful. So what's your take on that? Uh, that was actually my first time hearing that. Oh, okay. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so a couple things. I mean, one is the idea that porn is going to satiate uh, men's need for variety is uh, not real. That's not true. Um, porn is not a satiator. It is a cultivator. So if it's pouring gasoline on a fire, it is not <laughs> extinguishing something. So just fundamentally, that very concept is is flawed. And then, uh, and then um, again, this goes back to the point that we talked about, the idea of self-control. So where does that come in, into the equation? You know, again, the idea that, well, I may commit adultery, but since I have no self-control, I'll go look at pornography instead. And then again, how does that play out? So we're in the bedroom together and I tell you, hey, I have an appetite for variety. You mind leaving the room for a few minutes? I mean, and how does, so here, so this gets back to the point of empathy. So then how does the, how does the woman, how does the wife experience that? So she's outside the room now. She hears her husband in there. There's another woman moaning on the screen. She hears him doing what he's doing. How does she experience that? You know, betrayal trauma is something very real and can absolutely be invoked through one partner or the other watching pornography. I mean, 
um, engaging your sexuality in a voyeuristic way with somebody else in that act, again, a very special, powerful, private, mysterious um, act can have a dramatic effect on the other partner. Um, and so, um, so can experience betrayal, trauma, infidelity, trauma through that. And yes, they're not physically with another person, but then you have to get, but, but there, it's, it's a form of technologized prostitution. Mm -hmm. You're actually engaging in digital prostitution. And then you're participating in fueling the coercion and often trafficking that's happening to create exactly. that porn in the, in the first place. So it just, to me, that comment strikes me as a really thoughtless and careless remark about a very significant issue that our world is currently facing. And that, you know, I believe that the, 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 the effort of the conservative Christian movement is to uphold an ethical standard for society when it comes to matters of sexuality, fidelity, family, those kind of things. So it, it seems it seems like an opportunity for a deeper education on what pornography is and the way we interact with it. And I would just say that I'm fundamentally opposed to the comment that I just heard. I think that's an yeah. awful um, and careless depiction of of how to interact with pornography. Yeah. Pornography, because it's not just about, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not even just about what that one person is experiencing in front of the computer screen. And as you just described, that in of itself still has consequences and is still unethical and wrong. But mm -hmm. it's part of a whole system. And part of that system, which I'm sure, and I think Dennis Prager has said this, that yes, child sex abuse, the quote unquote child pornography that we see that's awful, that's terrible, kids can't consent, all, all that kind of stuff. I think he agrees with that. But I don't think that you can disconnect as you guys have talked about so much. Yeah. You can't disconnect child sex trafficking from pornography, regular pornography, whatever you wanna call it, adult pornography, because it's all connected. The demand demands all of it. The demand buoys Pornhub. It buoys all of these pornography sites that we know platform child sex trafficking, the rape of children. You can't disconnect your consumption of pornography to adults from the demand for child pornography because they are connected. Very often it's the same people producing both kinds of videos, right? Uh, absolutely spot on. And the five areas that we saw that pornography was connected to and overlapping with trafficking were first, when we were going into red light districts, we noticed that they were, that they were handing out pornography to advertise the women who were being used yeah. in prostitution and the trafficking victims. And so it was the marketing of trafficking and prostitution. And then the women who were in the trafficked and prostitution positions were also being required to make pornography. So they were uh, in the videos. The third thing that we saw is that um, this was being used, pornography was being used to groom child victims of sex trafficking. So they were shown pornography to, uh, to groom them, to condition them, to show them what would be expected of them as they were required to, uh, engage in paid rape mm -hmm. from clients. And, um, and, then, uh, and then we saw that it was fueling the appetite for illicit sex. So, so the, we interviewed, uh, we, I'm 
touring a film right now called Buying Her. It's the first documentary about male sex buyers. The one thing, these men come from all walks of life and background. The one thing that that is consistent among all of them is that they had a prior history of porn consumption from childhood. And so porn was fueling the appetite for the demand side of human trafficking. And then we investigated, the fifth thing is we investigated the mainstream porn industry and saw the way in which coercion was used as the backdrop for the creation of the vast majority of uh, mainstream pornography that is online today. Um, so those were kind of the initial five overlapping intersecting ways that we saw pornography connected to the larger sex industry and to sex trafficking. Then when we went into the porn industry um, and began to hear some of the stories of the individuals who were being propped up as porn stars, that was a whole other level of heartbreak. Yeah. And so I, as a potential, let's say potential, porn consumer, just as, a, you know, as any person could be in this world, um, would have to bypass my own knowledge that many of these people did not want to be there, experienced it as violating, were coerced to get on set. I'd have to go through all these, and I go, is, it, is that really worth it? I mean, like, it, it's just, it's just recklessly irresponsible at this point. Let, let me just make one last point. So I'm going to mm-hmm. turn it back to you. Just, just one last quick point. Because this is something that I've been thinking about recently is I've been hearing a lot of arguments of people who would describe themselves as pro porn and all of this. Um, there are no protections that exist online in any kind of effective way to prevent children from having exposure to pornography currently. So the Internet is a city without walls and um, virtually all children uh, will be exposed to pornography um, at some point in their life growing up. Um, I mean, the numbers are so staggeringly high. Um, And most children will experience as an inadvertent exposure to pornography that, that because of neural coupling and all of these things, the way our brain works can experience that as a form of sexual abuse, prematurely awakening their sexuality. It really, they don't have the cognitive uh, biopsychosocial uh, emotional capabilities to handle this potent toxic graphic um, depiction of sexuality and so it has a a devastating impact on them so so just think about this children are most vulnerable demographic of people in this world that we should all be able to agree deserve to be protected to have their innocence protected there is, there are no effective measures currently on the internet to protect children from having exposure to pornography. So even if you believe in theoretically the value of pornography um, in the like whatever best case scenario version of that that a person can imagine, well, now you put that out there in an environment in which there's no protection for children. You're at the very least having to sign off with, I'm okay with children being exposed to this, even though we know it has a dramatically devastating impact on hijacking and colonizing their sexuality. Yeah. So that alone is enough for me. But then when you go down that thread of looking at what, what people refer to as ethical porn, I mean, that that's, that's just a whole other thing. Like they, if you want, I can go down that path. I'm going to stop here because I'm just yeah. going no, on and on. Okay. But, that, that piece really matters to me, and I know it matters to you about the protection of children. 
Okay, I'm excited to tell y'all about every life diaper company. Tragically, there are diaper companies that actually support abortion. That is so uh, just counterintuitive and so wicked. I can't even imagine much worse than that. So we need to stop supporting the companies that support the slaughter of unborn children and instead get our diapers from a company that actually support the dignity, that actually supports the dignity of unborn life. And that is every life diaper company. So they offer amazing diapers. They uh, make their diapers without any fragrances or dyes or lotions or latex, parabens, phthalates, things like that. But they also have this really cool thing that is called the Buy for a Cause Bundle. And if you buy one of these, uh, they will send a bundle to a family in need. So they've chosen life for their baby, but they need things like wipes and diapers. So Every Life is supporting these families by sending them one of these bundles, these wipes and these diapers, and you can help partner with them in that. If you go to everylife.com, use code Allie10 to get 10% off your order today. That's everylife.com, code Allie10. Everylife.com, code Allie10. I want to talk explicitly about this documentary and this book that's recently come out, Raised on Porn. And so Mm -hmm. you are free to continue to go down that path and just talk about the ways pornography has kind of become the new sex ed for kids. And I know we've seen these trends on TikTok where girls, I mean, we're talking like 13, 14 year old girls talking about wanting to be choked, wanting violence in the bedroom because that's what they've been exposed to. That's what they think sexuality is. That's really what they think their first sexual encounter should be. That it's not something about commitment. It's not something within the bounds of marriage, certainly, but it's something, again, just for male pleasure, even if that includes violence and objectification. So tell us a little bit more about what you wrote about what you found when you were researching for this documentary and book. Okay, for sure. No, thank you for the opportunity to to share on that. Um, so I just want to just real briefly hit the ethical porn piece because this is the other direction that a lot of people go to. They say, well, I'll just watch the ethical porn. And um, yeah. you know, I, I don't know why it is that people are so obsessed with pornography that they need to find some kind of justification for it. I mean, what does that say about us that we need to that we need to access our sexuality through a screen? So I think there's a deeper issue going on there um, of mental health and uh the, the kind of like addicted self-medicating consumers culture that we live in and the lack of healthy outlets that people have in their lives to be so obsessed with finding the version that will work so they can still have their pornography. But there, there was a great example of ethical porn given through a documentary on Netflix called Hot Girls Wanted and it was the second installment called Turned On. And they did a whole episode on ethical porn. And it starts off with this lady named Erica Lust saying, I'm not giving a TED talk saying, I'm not here to get uh, girls off of porn. I'm here to get girls into porn, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. So her, she's, her mission statement is to, to get people to participate in pornography. And then the idea is she's going to do it in this really ethical manner. Well, by the end of the episode, we see that they're on the set of the quote unquote ethical porn set. And there's a woman at the piano and it's supposed to be this very romantic setting in which she begins to make love to the male counterpart in the scene. And he approaches her from behind. And as she's playing the piano, they stand up and then he begins to 
attempt to have sex with her, well, she's experiencing it as really painful. So she attempts to stop the scene, at which time the quote-unquote ethical porn director tells her, just fake it, just fake it. So the whole episode is about how this is about women's pleasure and they're going to do it in this ethical way and it's all going to be romantic and consensual. And, you know, surely if you throw a piano in there, it'll make everything better. But then when the woman is not enjoying it, she's actually in pain, uh, doesn't want to continue, is being cajoled and manipulated and coerced and bribed into just keep going and fake it. So I think for those people who would build their notion of acceptable pornography on the idea of ethical porn really have to go back and reconsider uh, their own cognitive dissonance about this and their own critical thinking about what, what they actually believe they're participating in. So I just wanted to make that point to kind of wrap up that thought on ethical porn, but mm-hmm. I can jump into just a few thoughts on the book if, if, yeah, if that's okay. Go for it. Okay. So during this eight, eight year plus investigation, um, I was approaching this from a public health and human rights standpoint. So public health being porn's impact on consumers really wanted to understand what is porn's impact on consumers and, um, relationships on children, on adults, on men, on women. So we explored that part of it. And then the other part of it was the human rights part. How is this being created? What is the impact on the performers that are being used in the pornography? And so um, so I spent the better part of eight plus years uh, investigating both of those things and then released a documentary last year um, called Raised on Porn and now just released this book which is a much more robust and in-depth resource on the subject. So there's a question of, you know, how is porn impacting us? We, you know, we now know that this, that pornography is um, ubiquitous throughout our world, that most children are being exposed to it by the age of 11 or 12 years old. Um, so what impact is that having on us? And one of the examples that you brought up i thought was really interesting the idea that a young woman who has virtually no sexual experience desiring to be choked in one of you know maybe her first or early sexual activity and where does that come from and so um so i do think that we really have to consider the social the impact on the socialization of children when it comes to porn. Here's the thing is that we don't do a great job about discussing issues of gender identity and sexuality in the world. And in the absence of that, pornography becomes the way in which many, and I would say most people are getting their sexual education and unintentionally oftentimes getting an education about what it means to be a man or a woman. Now, pornography used to be thought of as just a male issue, but uh, I'm actually um, in pre-production right now on a new documentary about porn's impact on females because about a third of the people that visit porn sites now are women and so females. And so there is a much greater level of exposure to females with pornography today. And 
What I see happening seems to be a fundamental altering of female sexual DNA from the standpoint of maybe going with an initial curiosity about what are what are the males they're interested in looking at? What are the, why are they so in, into this? But then through having that exposure, our sexuality is so fragile. It is so sensitive and can begin to have their own sexual appetites affected by what it is that they're seeing. And so that's why I say altering their natural sexual DNA. So maybe prior to any kind of porn exposure, they would imagine some type of romantic scenario of lovemaking with the person that they're interested in or in love with uh, and in a relationship with. And But after pornography, maybe they want to be choked, um, maybe have sex with multiple men at once, and then you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to be conscious of not getting too graphic here, but, yeah. um, I'll, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. So, so yeah. So, you know, a girl's first sexual experience being choked out or having sex with multiple men is very common today. And that is a direct result of widespread female exposure to pornography. And to me, I mean, I just, I think that's, that's tragic. Again, just going back to the point that I think sex has a purpose. I think it can be such a beautiful thing, but the way that it's glorified and deified in our culture is that in a way it's almost like all sex is good sex. And no, we know that anything that is really good and powerful and awesome can also be corrupted. It can also be twisted. It can also be perverted. And to me, that is the very essence of evil is to take something that's beautiful and pure and powerful and good and to twist it into something else. And so I think that is what we see happening with regards to how porn is affecting our sexuality and ultimately then the relationships that we have. One thing I love about this show is that we now have so many sponsors that make up the parallel economy. What I mean by that is businesses run by people who have the opposite values to some of these major corporations that are all progressive, pushing things like abortion and gender ideology. We have these sponsors who love America, who love the Lord, who have the same values that you and I do, and you get to support them after hearing about them on my show. But unfortunately, I can't tell you about every conservative Christian alternative business that exists out there, but Public Square can. And that's why I think this this company is awesome because they've created this app that gives you alternatives, alternatives to those progressive, destructive companies that we don't really want to support anymore. So if you download the Public Square app at the App Store, it's spelled Public SQ, you can see these alternatives. You can see lots of businesses and services that you'll want to support. If you put in your email address and your zip code, you can find local businesses that you want to support that Christian coffee shop, the business that defied COVID mandates, whoever you want to support, they're right there. You can also list your business if you're a business owner. So this is changing the game for the parallel economy. Go to publicsq.com and download the app today. That's publicsq.com. Download the Public Square app, publicsq.com. There's so many different parts of pornography and the consequences of it that people just don't realize are so 
incredibly far-reaching. I mean, I'm very thankful. I'm thankful for the work that y'all do, and especially, and also the work of people that expose specifically Pornhub and just what an awful, smutty industry and business this all is, totally based on people's pain and exploitation and trauma, and they just don't care. And it, it really does stun me, people who claim to have, you know, even some of the same values maybe that you and I do try to justify it without thinking at all. Like yeah. you've mentioned a lot in this episode, just think about it. Just like put a little bit of thought and a little bit of consideration into what kind of thing you're fueling, what you're a part of, just for that fleeting momentary pleasure that's going to end up destroying your life and your relationship and your sexuality anyway. There's just nothing nothing redeeming about pornography. And I, I, I am so concerned about the children who are exposed to this at even younger ages. It's so ubiquitous. They're seeing it on TikTok, whether they're searching for it or not. They're seeing it on Instagram. They're comparing their own bodies, their own sexuality to these fake depictions that they're seeing on social media. I mean, I don't even think we fully know the long-term repercussions on a societal level of kids being exposed and addicted to that kind of stuff early on. I mean, it's scary. Yeah. We we have to, I mean, it's, if we care about the protection of children, if we care about the dignity of women, if we care about authentic, healthy masculinity, we have to begin to look at the issue of pornography and how it's affecting us. And I don't mean to come across as, you know, cynical or disillusioned when I talk about how this has affected, you know, the church and the secular world and um, conservatives and liberals. I, it's just that I'm in this really unique space where we get all the stories. So all the stories come to us of people who have been manipulated, defrauded, sexually abused, um, trafficked in all these different contexts and by all these different people. And so I think there's just this unique autonomy and objectivity that we feel at Exodus Cry as it pertains to this issue. And so, yeah, we want to we want to just herald a message that it is um, it is an hour of crisis. It is an hour in which we really have to think about what we are going to do as a society to protect future generations of children, to protect the dignity of women, to um, to produce healthy men and ultimately facilitate the ability for us to have healthy relationships to grow healthy families and a healthy society and right now that is all in the balances it's all in the balances by virtue of this tsunami of pornography graphic often violent potent visual media that hasn't been invoked on us over these last few decades yes wow where can people watch this documentary raised on porn um, we have it. Um, it's just up on our Magic Lantern Pictures YouTube channel. So uh, they can go there. They can go to magiclanternpictures.com to see all of our films. Um, and it's a 37 minute long um, film, has nearly 4 million views online. It's um, wow. a very consumable length. It's a palatable film. I think for my part, I think appropriate for teenagers and uh, but really tries to quantify porn's impact on the consumer. And we try to do all of our productions with a really high standard for production quality. So I definitely encourage people to give that a look. And then the book, again, is a much more robust and in-depth resource. And they can get that where anywhere books are sold. It's uh, 
you know, Amazon or whatever. It's just the book is called Raised on Porn by myself, Benjamin Nolo. Thank you so much. I really, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Um, there are just a lot of stunning statistics too, studies that are included in this book. And so if you want to be equipped, not just for yourself, but conversations. And I also like, I encourage people take this book, take this documentary to your pastor, to the ministers in your church, to make sure that they understand what's going on. I do think that this is something that's not talked about quite enough. Maybe we talk about like lust in general, but specifically the danger that pornography poses. We just need mm -hmm. to be, I think, I mean, as Christians, we need to be leaders in that world of heralding the one of the parts of the good news, which is that we are made in the image of God. We're made for something so much more and so much better than pornography. Um, thank you so yeah. much, Benji. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Absolutely. Thank you. It's always an honor and I just appreciate you so much. So yeah, thanks again. Thank you. So if you have ever had any kind of medical event, I know for us, like the biggest medical events that we've had over the past few years is having children. We've had to navigate the complexities and the headache of health insurance. And it's crazy how much you really have to pay. I mean, deductibles are getting larger, premiums are increasing, claims denials are getting more common. I'm sure I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. Obviously, you need healthcare coverage, but maybe you want to opt out of traditional health insurance altogether because of how burdensome it can really be. You should check out Crowd Health at joincrowdhealth.com. This is a health share company. It's not health insurance, but they give you the tools to negotiate and crowdfund your medical bills just by paying a $50 a month membership fee. You get access to services like telemedicine, bill negotiation, and then you join the crowd, a group of members like you who just want to help each other, uh, cover each other's medical expenses, unforeseen uh, medical events. And there's no doctor's networks. It really is a lot more simple. And you have advocates in your corner helping you navigate these things. So go to joincrowdhealth.com. Use code Allie. CrowdHealth is, or CrowdHealth is not insurance. Learn more at joincrowdhealth.com. Code Allie. Joincrowdhealth.com. Code Allie. Hey, Relatabells and Relatabros, if you could please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to Relatable, that would mean so much to us and it really does help the show. Also, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do. Thanks. Mm -hmm.